Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about satin worship so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we've read The Shunning by Beverly Lewis, which is an Amish sort of romance novel. Joining us to discuss all of the sort ofs in this book is hermit slash ne'er-do-well Rebecca, who also happens to be my roommate. Hi. Hello. Uh, The other reason that Rebecca is on this podcast with us is because when we were randomly obsessed with Amish romance novels one weekend several months ago, she said that she would read any any book that was $2 on Amazon. So uh, we're going to get some mileage out of that. Which this book wasn't, by the way. This sent me back like $4.50. I'll have you know. I was gonna, when you say we were obsessed with Amish romance novels, do you mean you and Becca? I mean, you tweeted about them, and then you tweeted a link, an Amazon link, to I think this book, or another book by her, and then I got, like, sucked into the hole of reading the summaries of every book she's ever written. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't, I mean, I'm interested for sure, but I would not describe myself as having been obsessed with Amish romance novels. No, it's been a whirlwind weekend reading about every (laughs) single Amish romance novel and then reading them out loud to Becca and then predicting how all of them were going to end after reading the summary of the first book of all the trilogies. And based on our experiences with this one, I'd say we were probably correct about all of them. Good job, us. (laughs) So I will say, um, so I'm a public librarian. I work with adults and teens, but what I went to grad school for I I primarily took classes for children and teen services so one of the biggest surprises for me when I had to interact with public library adults is how popular Amish romance novels were like I had no idea but there's tons of authors who only do this they put out tons of books and I have a lot of patrons who come in and they know and they just have a list and they're like oh yeah Beverly Lewis's new one comes out next month I want to be on the list for it and also this and do you know of any other authors who write Amish romance novels and I was like oh my like what and also a lot of the Amish I guess also I've been calling them Amish romance novels because I I think a lot of them genuinely are and I they have the look of romance novels most of them this one I don't even know if it really counts as a romance novel I think because it's a trilogy, which I don't know if we realize going into this. It's three books. A lot of them are series, too, or, like, they'll talk about a whole community, and they're, like, each community member gets a book. And I think over the scope of the three books, you could view it as a romance, but because we just read the first one, we're really only getting a long, drawn-out third of the story. (laughs) That makes sense. I was, so reading this, like, I know a little bit about the Amish, but not, like, a ton. When I was a kid, I think my family took a trip to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and we took, like, a side trip to Pennsylvania Dutch country. I didn't know a ton about the Amish, and so I had a lot of questions, and I was on Twitter when I was finishing this up complaining about how like I had all these questions about it and a friend of mine who I guess has done a little bit of like casual study was filling in a bunch of stuff about like questions that I had and referred to them as gentle readers and I guess that's what like the subgenre of literature about the Amish fictional literature about the Amish is called gentle oh. Well, no, because Gentle Reads, I mean, because there's, like, non-Amish Christian books that I I would call that. And then also, like, I think a lot of cozy mysteries also fall as gentle. 
Gentle reads. At least that's how we use the term at my library. Uh, okay, I don't. Uh, all I know is from like the stuff that I googled after talking to her, and they all used it. So maybe it's yeah, like a only one part of that larger subgenre. But yeah, so uh, nothing happened in this book, guys. Nothing. It was extremely gentle. It was, it was. very very <laughs> gentle. I guess we should talk maybe about like what happened and also what I what we thought would happen. Okay, so the book's called The Shunning. So we we knew somebody was going to get shunned, and that did happen. So our, our protagonist is named Katie Lapp, and she is the only daughter in an Amish family. Um, she has three brothers, and her whole life she's just been sort of um, a slightly more rebellious than desirable Amish girl, which is not very rebellious. But like, for example, she's not allowed to play guitar, but she secretly plays the guitar. And not, I mean, and she plays forbidden music too, which is like not rock music, but just like non-Amish hymns that are from other churches. Yeah, she really, like, she fantasizes a lot about, like, wearing her hair down, uh, which isn't allowed, and, like, wearing different types of clothing and again like it never sounds like she's imagining herself in like a bikini or something but just less like one like i think she wishes she were mennonite basically instead of amish yeah but i mean even the mennonites still wear like the plain dresses and stuff i mean it is i feel like i mean as we'll go on talking about this book we'll see that i feel like the mennonite is probably the compromise she might reach in the end i don't know i didn't obviously i read the second (laughs) book as extra credit but i did not read the third (laughs) we can read a plot summary I couldn't find one. Oh, no. <laughs> Nobody wanted to tell me what happened except for, like, the main thing that you can guess that happens. <laughs> so so she's this rebellious-ish Amish girl, and she'd been in love with a guy named Dan- Daniel? Daniel yeah. Fisher. Who, with the blueberry eyes. Who was, yeah, who was the <laughs> one who had um, kind of led her astray. Like, he's the one who taught her how to play guitar and stuff, and they had this shared love for forbidden Christian music. But then he drowned, and so she's been, um, you know, grieving him, and I guess maybe a little more than is supposed to be acceptable. She's kind of supposed to have moved on by now because she's 22. So she's engaged to marry the bishop, and she's been sort of thinking about whether or not she's really committed enough to marry this, like, 40-year-old guy who already has five kids. Turns out she is not. <laughs> so she's, like, questioning it a lot. And one of the things that comes up kind of again and again is that she has auburn hair and no one else in their community has red hair at all. In preparation for her wedding to the bishop, she's up in the attic to look at her mother's wedding dress because she's working on stitching her own and I guess wants some inspiration. Which and is while funny she's up there, how plain the dresses are, I'm like, what are you doing to this dress? <laughs> <laughs> you can't decorate it. That's against the rules. <laughs> so she's up, I guess, staring at another dress that looks exactly like the dress she's <laughs> making. And um, she finds hidden in a trunk a tiny pink satin baby dress with the name Catherine Mayfield stitched into it. And she is shocked because Amish people don't wear satin clothes. Like, that is an Englisher 
fabric. It's too fancy for the Amish and it's the softest, softest thing she's ever touched. And she doesn't know where it came from or why it's here or how it got in her parents' attic. And of course, immediately anyone with any sense seeing the name Catherine sewed into it and already knowing that she's the only person with red hair immediately twigs on to what's going on. It's also important to know that this scene where she's up in the attic and she's looking at the dress and she finds the baby dress, this is literally the prologue. It's the this third page of the book. character named Katie Lapp, who is Amish, suddenly finds a baby dress with the name Catherine on it and is like, I'm obsessed with satin. It's so fancy. I've always wanted something like this. Oh my gosh. And then like the prologue ends with her just sobbing inex- inexplicably in the attic. And you go, I wonder what happens in this book. <laughs> <laughs> But the answer is nothing. Nothing happens happens. for literally 200 pages. Um, Yeah. This has a lot in common with Outlander in that there is just a lot of description of, you know, again, it's like, okay, Beverly Lewis clearly has done a lot of research into Amish daily life. And she thinks, I did like this more than Outlander because where Outlander would get hung up a lot in like herbs and medicine, she would get hung up on the food. And so I kind of don't mind as much reading like pages and pages about desserts. Which is good, because that's what this book is. Like, it just describes for a couple hundred pages, Katie waffling back and forth about, do I want to stay Amish or do I not want to stay Amish? If I stay Amish, I have to give up the guitar and the love songs that are the only link to my dead boyfriend. But, like, I made a commitment to stay Amish at 19 when I joined the church, but maybe I'm not cut out for this. I really want to braid my hair and that's not allowed, but I should really like just back and forth for 200 pages, this indecision that she has. And every once in a while, it'll shift points of view to other characters that will literally rehash the same scenes from their point of view. Like it'll be Katie or there's one scene where Katie's mom is freaking out because she found finds out that Katie found the little baby dress and is saying, explaining to her husband, like, oh, she found the dress and I swore this would never happen and she's going to find out. And then it switches to the husband's point of view and it's like, oh, you know, Samuel was very upset. Apparently Katie had found the baby dress. She was never supposed to do that. And now they don't know what to do. Like, we know we just read that. We were there. Right. I guess the other kind of big decision that has to be made by a character um, is that her mother gets a letter from Katie's birth mother or from someone on behalf of Katie's birth mother. Well, we never really explained what happened. Like, after she finds a baby dress, it comes to light how, what that baby dress is from. Like, we never explained, like, that. Right. Yeah, because the the name sewn in it is Catherine, which means that it's Katie's dress. But Catherine, but Katie doesn't figure that out. Her mother was pregnant and like, was a was it a stillbirth? I think. Yeah. And then she happens to run into this like teenager in the hospital who just had a baby who's like, here, this baby's going spare. Would you like it? And she goes, oh, sure. <laughs> and they just take the baby and that's it. And we later, like later on, there's a bit from the mother's point of view where like it talks about how she was pregnant by accident and she couldn't decide if she wanted to give it up. Until they were driving when she was eight months pregnant through Amish country and she saw some Amish children playing and told her mother definitively that she wanted to give the baby up to an Amish couple so that it could be raised in like good God's grace or something. 
it's very strange. But so prior to Katie's mother getting the letter and all of this coming out, the woman has been driving around their town in a limousine. Like you do. And everyone notices because she also has red hair and literally every character who notices before we find out that she's Katie's mom, it's like, she had bright red hair, just like Katie Lapp. Hmm. Now that they thought about it, they'd never seen anybody else with bright red hair like that before. (laughs) These two people that we keep mentioning. Hmm. Then page 175, surprise, (laughs) she's Katie's mom. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, shocking. <laughs> anyway, Katie's mom is dying though, so she sends a, a letter saying like, "Hey, I forgot to get any contact info. So if anybody here knows a lady named Rebecca who has my baby, could you let them know that my dying wish is to meet my baby?" And so Katie's mom, being a good Amish woman, like reads that and thinks what would be the most compassionate thing to do and then burns the letter and <laughs> doesn't tell her child. <laughs> she has this like deep fear that the woman will take Katie away from her. And I guess like now that I'm saying it, maybe her fear was that she would metaphorically take her away because Katie's 22. Like in their community, like you can't take a 22 year old and say like, well, now you have to, they never signed any adoption papers, so legally you're mine, and you have to come away now. Like, she's an adult. Caitlin, having read the second book, that's basically exactly what happens. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Katie up and leaves. <laughs> and she's just like, um, birth mom, we gotta have some convos. <laughs> Except it's not that simple, of course. But let's continue with this one. <laughs> Um, so Katie, um, her mother does eventually tell her about the secret because Katie's birth mother also gave them like $500 to take the baby, or I guess her birth grandmother, um, that they have kept in a bank account for her and are now giving to her as like her wedding dowry. Cause I guess normally like the parents of the bride make furniture and stuff. But since she's marrying a widower, they don't need any of that. Um, And it all comes out that Katie was adopted and these were the circumstances. And she freaks out and still is going to go through with her wedding until literally it's gotten to the, if if anyone here has any objections to these people being wed, speak now or forever hold your peace. Katie's like, oh, dang, I do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And she just runs out of her wedding. Yeah. And then her dad's like, you know, you've shamed the family. If you don't get your act together and marry the bishop, then we're going to shun you. And then they shun her, which they've previously explained. And if you're familiar, like, I feel like that's sort of a commonly-ish known thing about Amish culture is if you uh, are bad, then you get shunned. And then everyone has to pretend like you're dead. Yeah, you're literally not there. You're in the room, but they can't acknowledge you, and you can't sit with them. It's like Mean Girls, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Katie did not wear pink on Wednesday, and she could no. not sit with them forever. <laughs> so she takes oh her dowry. God, I love a book of Amish Mean Girls. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, there there is a little bit of that too, because there's the plot with her best friend Mary, who it's also le- who does legitimately like the bishop, and so there's kind of a. As far as Amish girls get, she's kind of like, you should be grateful that you can marry a cool dude like the bishop. <laughs> Plus, there's her aunt, or, I don't know, this woman who is in the community who has, like, metaphorically kind of shunned her family, Katie's family, because Katie's mom didn't go to her. She's the midwife oh, when Katie yeah. was born. So she just, like, gossips about them all the time and is, like, super passive-aggressive about the Lap family all the time. And just, like, says mean, rude things until the whole story comes out. And then, like, apparently she's like, well, I guess now that you're shamed in front of our entire community, I'll stop being a bitch. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so Katie takes her diary money and she runs off to her mother's Mennonite cousins to rent a room from them and to uh, go on this quest to find her birth mother because... She's shunned by her community and she knows that she's always been like not Amish on the inside. And now this just proves it. It proves that she has a free independent soul and that she needs to embrace that and sing all the soft, mellow Christian love ballads that she wants. What's funny? Yeah. What's funny is that she's just like, oh, yeah, I I was meant for this other stuff. And it's always like literally and I know that's part of. Amish culture, but it's literally the material things. She's like, I want fancy dresses. I want mm. fancy hair. I want to sing fancy songs. Um, she wants electricity. There's one point where she's just like, <laughs> she's down in the basement, and she's just sort of like, wow, how nice it would be if there were electric lights in this room. And it's like, yeah, it's pretty sweet, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think, um, I think a lot of what appeal, because like I said, these generally there are a lot of people who like to read a lot about the Amish and I can kind of relate I feel like for a certain type of reader it's sort of the equivalent of like um you know reading a kind of survival story and just sort of imagining like well you know I live this like cushy fancy life but what if I lived in district 12 like how would I do and this is kind of in that like oh what if I didn't have electricity what if I did have to make jam all the time like I don't know it's it's sort of like the same vibes of acknowledging that our society is, like, kind of easy to live in and, like, what if it wasn't? It is, like, totally fascinating to me. I would read these books if, they, like, if they were better, I guess. <laughs> if, if this trilogy had been a book, I would have probably been like, all right, you know? Cause, but I just didn't need, you know, 200 pages describing every aspect of Amish life to finally lead up to 60 pages of plot and then be like, get the next book. Right. There's also a lot of these authors, like Beverly Lewis has also put out an Amish cookbook, and other fiction authors have as well, and those are really popular too. Like, just a few days ago, somebody at my library asked me for them, and I had to put her on hold because most of them were checked out already. (laughs) Oh, man. It was... Yeah. Like, I feel... I guess I kind of agree with Becca that, like, I can see in theory why these would be appealing, but this particular book, like, it, like literally nothing happens. The first 200 pages, 193 pages, until she walks out of her wedding, is just rehash of the same anxieties and issues over and over and over again. And I, it easily, I mean, even if it was just two books, without having read the second book or the third book, like, I think it could have been 
squeezed into two books instead. Oh, yeah. and we also forgot the big twist at the end. Oh, right. Um, the oh big gosh. surprise ending is that her sister-in-law, who is the older sister of her dead sweetheart, oh, gets yeah. a letter in the mail right after she leaves the community that is from the supposedly dead sweetheart who didn't really drown. He ran away because he saw this as an opportunity to escape the Amish community without bringing shame to his family. So he took it, but now he's coming back and he wants to know if Katie is still in town. And As that's where the book ends. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> a few things. Um, Beverly Lewis has written a, a lot of these. This was her first Amish romance novel or Amish, Amish novel. Um, so I wonder if since then she's, if they've gotten a little bit tighter or what... There's one called The Englisher, and I wish we had read that one, because it's clearly about, like, some Amish woman who falls in love with an English dude and is like, oh, yes, let <laughs> us do the sex. Yeah. <laughs> All that lip, lip kissing, as they keep saying in the book. <laughs> lip kissing. <laughs> uh, just thinking about it gets me all for hoodled. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's another thing, is this, you, like, Amish uh, there's a lot of like German dialect, I guess, in there, like Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Dutch. Dutch. <laughs> um, and so, th- but my favorite one was constantly they say for hoodled, which I guess is so- it's sort of like confused or overwhelmed. Like, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> Twitter painted. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's my main takeaway from this is I would like to um, take for hoodled into the Englisher vocabulary. Right yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, The one thing that this book does do really well, though, in addition to teaching us all sorts of Pennsylvania Dutch, is, like, the frickin' descriptions of the food in this book is amazing. I'm angry now that I'm thinking about it again, because I'm like, why don't I have desserts? I know. Can we go for pie after this? Oh, I have apple crisp in the fridge. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing I thought was interesting about this is um, I had assumed that these books sort of were like pro Amish and sort of maybe idealize the culture, but this seems a little bit like anti Amish. Like, I mean, it's clearly like she's Beverly Lewis is really interested in the culture and like admires their hard work and stuff, but it seems like pretty down on them for their like for the shunning and just, you know, it's from Katie's point of view and how unfair it is to her. And all that. Yeah, it's interesting because I know that in that weekend that I just like read summaries of all of these books, it seemed to shake out pretty much 50-50 to me. It seemed that about half of the books were about someone either deciding that they were too of a, too much of a free independent spirit to remain in the Amish community or finding out that they secretly are not Amish but rather were adopted or whatever. And wanting to, longing to join the Englisher world. And then the other half seemed to be about English people who discover the Amish community and find it speaks to them, you know, in their souls and decide to become Amish instead. I was on Goodreads today and there was literally a review of this book that basically said that. She was like, I became Amish because of Beverly Lewis. Whoa. <laughs> and I was like, but why are you on a computer leaving Goodreads? Yeah. <laughs> that was my Does next question. the Lord question. know about this? <laughs> well, I, maybe they had a Mennonite cousin type it up for them. 
Because there's, there's a lot of loopholes, because they can have, um, if they get people to do stuff for them, because some, like, Amish furniture website, like, stores and stuff will have a website that, and they're, like, a, allowed. There's, especially with businesses, I was trying to, like, look stuff up the other day, that especially, I guess, with businesses, if it's necessary to compete as a business, you're allowed a lot more leeway, like, as far as, you know, transport and just general in modern technologies in general, they're like, yeah, because otherwise you wouldn't be a business if you were just, you know, on your front porch being like, buy a chair. Yeah, I'll have the link to the article that my friend, the essay that my friend Laura sent me um, when we were talking about this, because I guess like a lot of it, the idea is that if you have electricity in your house, it will lead to, it'll kind of lead you down the path. Where, like, you might be using it for things that are okay, but it will also tempt you into using it for things that are less okay. So you can have, like, especially a lot of the businesses, like, they have phones and they have cell phones, but they can't be in the house. Like, they literally build sheds on their property that are just for their business technology. Yeah. So that they can still use them, but they're not technically in the house and that they're not there to remind them to serve as a temptation. So like they can use batteries and they can use propane to do things like power the milkers and, you know, power some of the farm equipment because that like serves a productive purpose, but they can't just have it so that they can have like, you know, internet so that they can watch Netflix. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or like they can have other people drive their stuff to, you know, if they need it, but they can't drive the car. Yeah. So, yeah, again, I I can totally see those kind of details are interesting to know. I think it was just the balance. The balance of 200 pages of explaining to me what Amish life is like versus, like, 60 pages of actual plot. If they had, like, spread it out. I feel like if this... I don't even know. Well, it's because it was all exposition. It was all exposition. Yeah, yeah. And instead of working it into like having a book where you know we dive right into Katie's life and her telling Mary that she's not ready to marry the bishop and like things like Dan Fisher and like the different aspects of Katie's life and Amish life coming out as the story unfolds it was like an info dump on what every aspect of Katie's life and Amish life were like and then once she was sure that we knew all of that and understood it, then she moved on to the plot. I wonder if some of it is that it's kind of, like, soothing in a way. Um, sort of like, you know, in Babysitter's Club, every those are always kind of, like, gentle and soothing. Because you'd always know, like, well, there's going to be a chapter where she tells all the girls, like... Right. You know, all their hobbies and what they dress like. And then there'll be a chapter where they have a meeting. And, like, I wonder if the repetitiveness, you know, going along with the gentle reads, if it's just kind of like, okay, I know what I'm getting into. And, like, I find this soothing to just read through a lot of description about, like, I already know that the Amish, um, you know, have horses. But I just like to read about it again. Um, Kind of, honestly, you know, like, with comics, like, I'll read a hundred different stories about, like, Wolverine being sad, and I'm like, I I get it, like, he's a sad, he's a sad Canadian man, but I'll just read, like, how this person does it. So I don't, like, just for me, I'm definitely less interested in, in these details, but I guess I can understand why for, and I mean, a lot, for a lot of people, there's clearly something here that they're getting. It's true. 
I mean, if only because I can't stand to read about Wolverine being sad <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> I skip those parts. <laughs> okay, but I mean, if it were about, like, you know, Charles Xavier being sad. <laughs> I know for a fact, Caitlin, that you read that over and over again. I yeah. <laughs> By the way, I also, this doesn't apply to Amish romance novels, but I have a theory that the hero of any Western romance novel can be replaced with Wolverine and it works. I would 100% buy that. I would like to see Wolverine in an Amish romance novel. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Like, chapter one, Wolverine was sad because his wife died. And then he... Anytime I think about this book now, I'm going to think about Wolverine as Bishop John. <laughs> and then he had to take care of all five kids. And he did, like, he's Wolverine. He doesn't know children. Actually, that would be a lot more charming. <laughs> Actually, I'm imagining Wolverine as, uh, you know, rebellious Dan Fisher with his guitar and his mellow Christian love songs. How does he play the guitar with the claws, Kate? He has fingers also. No, no, no. (laughs) No. It even works with the coming back from the dead. Like, he growls. Okay. Oh, yeah, he does do that. (laughs) In the second book, you find out that he, like, really was in a boating accident. And he really did, like, almost drown. And he just saw, like, the Coast Guard coming and found, like, this rock outcrop and just watched them and was like, this would be a good time to leave. (laughs) See, he that's totally decides, some you know, shit Wolverine would do. You know, and because he's so old, he totally had... Well, I guess this is set now, but he could have done this in, like, the 1800s, and this would be, like, his true backstory. <laughs> <laughs> like, before Weapon X, he faked his own death to get away from the Amish. <laughs> and it's just, like, one more layer to all of Wolverine's secret past lives. <laughs> I would read that fan fiction. <laughs> Uh, I'm opening up a new Google Doc as soon as we finish recording this. I'll Absolutely. share it with you as soon as I'm done. <laughs> Does he fall in love with The Rock, who is also Amish? <laughs> no, The Rock would be like the handsome Englisher who comes to the farmer's market. <laughs> I like how you say it, like, no, obviously, Rebecca. <laughs> it's like you don't even know The Rock. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> let's just end the podcast. We're not going to top this. Um, oh, no, we still need Dorote's Corner, so I guess we'll do all the other stuff first. <laughs> Super important. <laughs> well, before we move on to the other stuff, oh. Becca, could you just, like, summarize the second book? Because oh, I'm yeah. super curious. <laughs> so Katie, who is now officially calls herself Catherine only, uh, she moves in with the Mennonite cousins and uses their telephone to literally call anyone in the phone book who has the last name that she learned from her Amish mother that her birth mother had. And she's like, oh, there's 48 of them. This is going to be great. But she's super excited to use a phone, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so she calls them all. She finally finds the one, but it's under the husband's name. And the husband gets the phone and is like, who is this? And she's like, oh, I think this is my mother's house. And he's like, no, you're mistaken, and like hangs up. She then decides to just go to New York and go to the house where they're like, oh, you must be the new maid. And she's like, yeah, clearly. <laughs> so she just becomes a maid. <laughs> because right. they have this, it's two people living in this house. It is her mother and the mother's husband. And they have like 15 staff. I don't know what these staff do all day. 
<laughs> but they're very busy and they love this woman and they hate this man. The husband hires an actress to play the part of the daughter. You know, he's like, this is Katie Lapp, who is Amish, and she is your daughter, and she has found you. Because the whole reason the mother's been looking for her is because she's dying, and she has this giant, enormous, rich person estate, and was like, well, you are still my daughter because we never signed any papers. There was nothing le legal about this adopt adoption. So you're my daughter, and it all goes to you because I never had any other children. And the husband's like, I would like that money, please, thank you. So he hires this actress, and the actress is terrible, and Katie's wandering around as a maid, overhearing her being terrible at being Amish. Catherine goes and, and rifles through fake Katie's luggage and is like, oh, look at these red silk panties. That doesn't seem very Amish to me. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was genuinely intrigued. <laughs> I, I will say a lot more happens in this book than happens in the first book. It moves a lot quick. I read it in like two days. I was like, all right, at least something's going down. Meanwhile, we find out that like Daniel's alive and it's just like, I guess he's Mennonite now. I can't. He, he's kind of still pretty plain, but not fully Amish. And he's just kind of living on his own and doing whatever. And we keep going back to him doing whatever, being like, oh, I wonder about Katie. I wonder about Katie. I wonder about Katie. And that's it. That's just every other chapter. They're like, let's go back to Daniel wondering about Katie. And he eventually has to go home and confess and say, you know, I'm still alive. Spoilers. And, you know, <laughs> like atone for what he's done. Even though I don't think he, he wants to go back, necessarily. The second one is called The Confession, and that seemed to be the only confession they were referring to. So I guess that's what that was about. Eventually, Katie, Katie finally, like, a day before her mother dies, the, the actress is like, I can't do this anymore, and she leaves. She's like, I'm not actually your daughter, goodbye. And <laughs> Katie finally tells her. <laughs> I don't know why, she just decides. She's like, Catherine is on to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so she leaves and Kate and Catherine finally is like oh yeah I'm your actual daughter spoilers not a maid and she's like oh thank goodness oh and then she just like basically dies the day after they hold her so she like never has any real conversation with her for the most part and never really tells her what was happening and it's just like look for the diary I left you when I was pregnant with you and like that's where it ends <laughs> <laughs> one one quick thing I I wanted to mention that you reminded me of is that one of uh, Katie's rebellious things that she does is she renames her horse to Satin Boy. Yes, <laughs> I don't remember what its name was before, but something good in Amish. Tobias. That... Tobias. Right. I, it, when I first got the book, I opened it up to a random page, and that was the first sentence I read was Rebecca Lapp being like, "Well, she had named her renamed her horse horse to Satin Boy," and I was like, "This is <laughs> part of the book. I can tell." Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, with with that in mind, I guess let's move to our dramatic readings, where I don't think we're actually going to be reading you anything about Satin Boy, but you can imagine. It's All just right. a confused oh. horse. That's what happens <laughs> in this book, too. There's a whole chapter about how Tobias is so confused and doesn't answer when her family <laughs> calls him Tobias anymore. And, like, her, the one brother who kind of got Katie was like, you should probably call him Satin Boy. That was his name when Katie left. Oh, boy. <laughs> that horse was fur hoodled. <laughs> <laughs> Totes for hoods. <laughs> okay, this first bit we're gonna do is from uh, the quilting frolic, which sounds like something that I would very much want to attend. But the first I am quilting going to frolic. Part of <laughs> the first quilting frolic, yes. I'll read the part of the narrator. 
Renata will read the part of Katie, and Becca will read the part of Mary. Who is Katie's best friend, who's a good Amish girl. Yeah, it's very good. She very much follows the Amish ways, and is always very put out that Katie does not. When Katie arrived at the Stoltzfus farm, Mary was busy stewing chickens with her mother. Ten other women sat around the large kitchen table, chatting and sipping coffee. A quilting frolic. That's what it was, Katie decided. No doubt they'd be working on her wedding quilt. Why else wouldn't I be invited, she thought. It was highly unusual for the bride not to attend her own quilting bee. But Katie suspected that since she was to become the bishop's wife, people had planned something extra special out of respect for his position. Something in the nature of a surprise, which was more typical of the way Mennonites did things than their cousins, the Amish. The quilting frames were set up in the large, sparsely furnished front room, where the women, ranging in age from 18 to 80, would sit on straight-backed chairs, sewing thousands of intricate stitches and chatting about vegetable gardens and flower gardens, new babies, and upcoming work frolics. Rebecca would tell her familiar tales, and some of the women might throw in the latest gossip. They would have contests over who could make the shortest stitches as they laughed and sang hymns and babbled endlessly. Later, there would be oodles of food, perhaps some of Abe and Rachel Stoltz's delicious pineapple ice cream, the crowning moment of such event, especially for Katie, who so often fought her craving for sweets. Something wrong? Mary whispered, watching with a keen eye as Katie warmed herself near the black metal stove. You look all droopy. I'm all right. I can't stay. I best be going. But you just got here. Katie tried to be gracious, but at the first opportunity, she hurried outside and began to pick her way across the ice towards the family buggy. She wasn't surprised when Mary Stolfus burst out of the back door, following close on her heels. Katie, wait! You seem upset about something. We have to talk, and very soon. I'll come over after a bit, yeah? No, not my house. We'll have to meet somewhere else. Someplace private. Would have thought you'd be home sewing your wedding dress. It's nearly done. Thought you'd have it all done by now. Ja, I know. Maybe we could talk now, if you hurry. There's no hurrying it. We'll chat later. Katie, something's awful wrong. I just know it. It's nothing, really. Everything's wrong. Oh, Mary, everything. I knew it, don't you see? Friends are for sharing. The Lord puts people together for a reason, like how he put us, Mary and Katie, together. Himmel, it's not this talk. It's not about the marriage, is it? Not now. So it is about you marrying the bishop, ain't We'll talk tonight. I'll write over after supper. <sighs> so... That's a book. <laughs> that's a book that moves much faster than how it's actually written. Yeah, we skipped a lot. <laughs> we skipped a lot of descriptors. I mean, there was a lot of compassionate glances and angsty looks in there that we did not tell you. All right. Next up, I'm going to read you just a bit of um, Katie fearing the shunning. Um, she's been remembering her, her dead boyfriend, Dan, and um, the the non-Amish Christian teachings he's been telling her. So, the Ordnung, which is the Amish 
ways things. I don't know. The Ord Nun can't save us, Katie, he'd said with a serious look in his eyes. Our forefathers weren't educated in the scriptures. They didn't study the Bible so they could teach it to the people. They made rules for the old order to follow. Man-made rules. Katie had heard about the four elderly bishops back in 1809 who'd issued a ruling about excommunicating members who failed to obey the Ordnung. But she was in love, and whatever Dan chose to believe about their Swiss ancestors was fine with her. She wasn't going to argue with him. Besides, he'd probably gotten himself invited to a Mennonite Bible study or prayer meeting somewhere. The Mennonites were known for seeking out the truths of God's word, and many of them ended up becoming missionaries. At the time, Katie figured Dan had encountered some Bible thumpers. That was all. But she hoped he'd be careful about his affiliation with outsiders. Especially Mennonites. He could get himself shunned for such things as that. Katie cringed. Deminding the shunning was a frightful thing. The word itself stirred powerful emotions among the people. Feelings of rejection, abandonment, fear. She could remember her mommy, Essie, telling about a man who had been shunned for using tractor power. None of the people could so much as speak to him or eat with him, lest they be shunned too. It's like a death in the family, Essie had told her. And Katie, only a youngster at the time, had been sorry for the outcast man and his family. But it wasn't until she met his little daughter, Annie May, during a spelling bee at their one-room school that Katie understood the depth of sadness involved. No one knew what to say to Annie May. They either said nothing at all or were extra nice, as if that could somehow make up for her father's pain. Even though the children were pretty much sheltered from church affairs, they could all see that after the shunning, Annie May was no longer the same. It was as if, as if she'd been stripped bare, robbed of something precious. Katie had even been fearful that, unless Annie May's father submitted to a kneeling confession and pleaded for forgiveness, his little girl might suffer for the rest of her life. Along with all the other children in the Hickory Hollow Church District, Katie had been taught never to deviate in the slightest from the Ordnung. Once you began to stray, you were on your way out the church door. Well, nobody will ever have to worry about me, young Katie had thought, after witnessing the plight of Annie May's father. Never would she willfully disobey and disgrace her family in the church. Never would she step so far from the fold as to be shunned, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> foreshadowing yeah she did (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's so interesting to me too because i understand that it's like different types of faith and different sets of doctrines and everything but like the reason that she shunned is because she like loves music and loves like, refuses to give up the music of her love, like, the very godly music of her love for her dead boyfriend, and then refuses to lie about it. So, like, essentially, because she's too moral to fake it, she's shunned. So it's like being too Christian to be Christian. It's very strange. Yeah. All right, next up, Becca is going to read a little bit about what happens to Katie after she runs out of her wedding and takes refuge on the island in the middle of the lake that she and her dead, supposedly dead boyfriend, Dan, (laughs) used to go to. It's true. She's like a meltdown. It's great. (sighs) 
Under a willow tree nearest the center of the island, Katie sat with knees pulled up tightly under her chin. She had removed her devotional cap and unpinned her bun, allowing the long auburn tresses to flow down over the front of her dress. Singing her favorite tunes, she ran her fingers through the traditional middle hair part, separating the strands, and swept it to one side, then pleated it into a thick braid. She played with her hair to her heart's content, wishing for a small hand mirror to view the new look, the fancy new woman. She began to sing louder as she unraveled her hair and rebraided it, weaving in dried wisps of willow leaves, wishing they were gold cords or silken hair ribbons. I'm Catherine now, she called to the sky. My name is Catherine Mayfield. She forced images of her parents' sad faces from her mind. Looking out toward the pond, she decided to have a peek at herself and would have made it to the small pier except that she heard her mother's voice at that very moment. Quickly, she crouched in the shelter of the brownish willow curtain. Despite the absence of flush greenery, she was certain she was well hidden. Several times, Mam called out to her, probably hoping to lure her from her hiding place. But Katie didn't budge. This was her day. A day to sort out the questions and haunting fears. A day to let the fancy side of her go unbridled, with no one to call her to account. She waited until she saw her mother turn, and with shoulders slouched, plod back to the wooded trail and home to face their guests. Katie allowed herself just the tiniest twinge of regret for placing her parents in this embarrassing position. Still, they'd most likely go on with the feast, as planned, eating and visiting and wondering what had possessed her. There would be no lighthearted celebration under the circumstances, but the atmosphere would be sweet, the bond of peace and the kindred spirit of the people. No matter, this was her time, and she planned to make the most of it. Katie crept toward the pier and flattened herself against it, staring into the pond water below. Her hair, how different it looked. In place of the familiar center part, her shiny hair lifted at the top before dipping slightly over one eye, the silky cascade caught up in an intricate design. She pulled at the willow leaves twining through the thick strand and flicked pieces into the water, making ripples on the glassy surface. She watched the ripples widen until they washed up on the far shore, somewhere deep within. She recognized the symbolism of her own life. Who am I really, she wondered. If I'm Catherine Mayfield underneath my skin, then who is this Katie Lapp dressed in dull homespun clothing? She dangled her cap over the pier, staring at its reflection. But yeah, she, it's funny to me how, despite, you know, 200 pages of hemming and hawing about this, once she decides it, she's like, I'm Catherine, I'm done. I'm Catherine and I'm wearing fancy stuff. <laughs> right. She has. She says she allows herself like a moment of passing regret for her parents, and that's it. That's all she cares about. She's just like, mm, it's fine. Yeah, and it's you know I, I'm well. I guess as far as I know, I'm not adopted, so I I, I don't <laughs> I don't really know how this feels. But to me, it seems like like obviously it would be shocking to find out. But also, it, sure. it's like you've never known any other life. Like exactly, and it's not like being Amish is in your genes. Like right. But it is just like satin is in Katie's. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very and like again, like I'm also not adopted as far as I know. I look too much like my dad. I can't be adopted. Um, <laughs> Guys, but... I just have to tell you there was a reason I was brought on this podcast today, and it's to tell you both. <laughs> You're both adopted. <laughs> um, so I, I can't know what it's like to discover, you know, that late in life. When you live that sort of, um, not necessarily sheltered, but very contained life, you know, that, that everything you thought you knew was a lie. But I feel like the answer isn't to be like, well, guess this thing I've been doing for 22 years is wrong then, you know, like, like she's 
been looking for an excuse to not be Amish for a very long time and that she's just taking this as an excuse because otherwise I feel like basically Beverly Lewis is saying is, you know, in the battle of nature versus nurture, nature wins. Yep. You know, you, you, you can't, you can't be you, Amish if you're, you're satin on your the side. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The last dramatic reading we're going to do is a bit about what Katie does once I don't think she's been shunned yet. Yeah. Before she's been shunned, after she has her little island sulk, she rides Satin Boy, her pony, into town and decides to get a taste of the life that has been denied to her for these past 22 years. And I'm going to read a little bit about that. Squaring her shoulders, she marched towards the boutique, intent on trying on some fancy, worldly clothes. May I help you, miss? The sales lady was obviously trying not to stare, Katie thought. Still, she must look a sight in her rumpled long dress and apron, her braid woven with willow tumbling over one shoulder. I'd like to try on the fanciest satin dress you have. Satin? Yeah, you do have it, don't you? Well, no, we don't normally carry satin until later in the season. The woman picked up her glasses, which had been dangling from a chain around her neck, and placed them on the bridge of her nose. Is the garment for yourself or someone else? Katie chuckled under her breath. Oh, it's for me, all right. It's time I get to see what I've been missing. Blinking rapidly, the woman turned to the counter. If you'd like, I could check with one of the other stores, say in York or Harrisburg. They carry a larger inventory. No, no, Katie interrupted. It's important that I see something today. Spotting a rack of exquisite dresses with brocade bodices and lace detailing, she left the lady gaping at the counter and hurried over. What about one of these? She lifted a soft chiffon gown off the rack and held it up to herself, in front of a wide three-way mirror. Turning this way and that, she admired her reflection from several angles, humming one of the songs she loved best, Dan's song. What size are you looking for, miss? I don't know, really, Katie replied, thinking of all the sewing she had done for herself over the years. Still, it was a bit overwhelming. Seeing all these garments in a dazzling variety of color, styles, and fabrics just waiting to be worn. I've never been asked that question before, but I suppose I ought to find out. Why don't I just try it on and see for myself? The clerk seemed at a loss for words. Uh, yes, of course. Right this way. Without bothering to inspect the price tag, Katie followed her to a small dressing room at the back of the shop. At the touch of the saleslady's hand, a velvet pole curtain draped her in privacy, just Katie and the sheer golden dress fragile as a butterfly's wing. When she turned, she let out a little gasp, catching her reflection unexpectedly. The tiny space was covered with mirrors on all sides, from floor to ceiling. Am I dreaming, she whispered as she touched the glass with her finger. Relishing every second, Katie removed her clothing, first her apron, then her plain, very plain, wedding dress. With great care and near reverence, she lifted up the fanciest gown ever created. It slipped easily over her head and dropped lightly onto her shoulders, 
coming to rest at an astonishing mid-calf. She loved the swishing song of the fabric, the silky feel of it against her skin, and, oh glory, the open neckline, free and unrestrictive. Katie stepped back to admire herself, inching away from the mirror to grasp her full reflection. This was no Katie. This had to be Catherine. But even while reveling in the moment, she was feeling robbed, cheated of the years when she'd been deprived of her rightful heritage. Would she ever be able to wear the rich, vibrant colors of the English without having to do so in secret? She wondered, too, about the woman who had named her Catherine. What kind of woman would allow herself to bring a child into the world without nurturing that life? Would give the baby a fancy name and then hand her off to some stranger? What kind of person did such things? Her joy tainted, Katie stepped out of the filmy dress and retrieved her own clothes. Someday, I'll wear a dress like this out in public, she promised herself. Someday, I will. Oh, Katie. <laughs> that was the other thing I forgot to mention in the second book. She immediately goes and gets her hair cut to, like, shoulder length. She goes full face of makeup. She goes all the fancy clothes. She starts shaving her legs. She's like, we're doing this 100%. <laughs> Amazing. I would love to see... Um, they're probably, this is probably already in development, but just a show where, like, women who've chosen to leave the Amish lifestyle get makeovers by drag queens. <laughs> I would watch that. I watch every episode. <laughs> also, it makes me laugh so much that, like, Catherine is a fancy name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's not like her name is, like, Unique or something, or Nevia. <laughs> yeah. Whatevs. I guess on that note, let's move on to would you rather. Would you rather be a modern day Amish person or time travel back to the 1700s? Either way, I don't... Uh, maybe you can wear satin in the 1700s. When was satin invented? I don't know. I've um, always just taken it for granted. <laughs> <laughs> I we all def- have. We all have. <laughs> I would definitely time travel back to the 1700s. Because, you know, I think you could have a lot more sex in the 1700s than it seems like you can have if you're Amish. It seems like that's just for baby making and not for, like... I don't know. There was a lot of, like, oh, you gotta have a good wife to warm your bed. And I feel like that warm your bed was a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm -hmm. And plus, there are a lot of babies. There's a lot of babies. So, I mean, yeah. (laughs) But additionally, um, I feel like in the... 1700s i wouldn't have to bang a dude and i could be more independent i mean like i couldn't like marry a lady but i could you know probably bang a lady in secret that's what i would actually read i want the lesbian amish romance novels oh i'd read that you want to look into that um, also, I've looked it up. It looks like satin has been around at least since the Middle Ages. So satin's a go if you're yeah. in the 1700s. <laughs> if that's the deal breaker, you've got it. Yeah. Satin <laughs> became famous in Europe during the 12th century. Also, no religious requirements for being in the 1700s. Which well, as- I mean, if yeah. you're too weird, then you seem like a witch and you might get killed. It's true, but, you know... I'll use my knowledge of herbs to be just weird enough. 
Yeah. I guess the thing is, either way, you're sort of, like, aware that you're missing out. Because if you've time-traveled, then you're like, uh, like, I know the internet exists in the future and I don't have it. And if you're Amish, you're you're like, yeah, you you know it's, like, right there. You know it's right there, but you also can't use it. Um, I would be Amish because, A, uh, I like beards. And B, the desserts. Yeah, because I guess it depends, too. Like, if we're talking an Outlander scenario where you've time-traveled and married, like, a rich lord, okay? But I guess the thing about, like, being a poor person in the 1700s would suck. And at least with the Amish, it's, like, pretty equal. Like, they all, that's kind of the point of it. They all kind of have the same stuff, so. It's true, but I would absolutely use my knowledge. Like, before I time-traveled, I'd make sure to read up on the time period and place I was going to, and I would mm-hmm. definitely use that knowledge to become rich. Nice. Does that... How, how... How? Never mind. That's a whole other story to ask you how you would do that, but... <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Renata? Um, I'm gonna... I'm gonna choose Amish, yes. and I'm gonna hope... That I can somehow get involved with Vanilla Ice goes Amish. I would like to be an Amish person who, like, coaches Vanilla Ice in his Amish ways. Is this a thing that's happening? It happened. It's real. Vanilla Ice is Amish now? <laughs> well, no. But, <laughs> but there like is a, a there's a television show that exists. See, I'm already, like, half Amish because I don't have real TV. I just have Netflix. <laughs> I don't have real TV either, but I'm just aware that this exists. Yeah, I'm... Nah, I don't miss it. It's I would called... just have like some Mennonite cousins who could drive me to the hospital if I needed and to use a phone. It'd be fine. Right. <laughs> Plus all the quint- quilting you could hope for. Mm-hmm. The quilting bees. Then... Also, uh, you could maybe hope, because there's like um, an old, a wise old widow in the community who just kind of hangs around and sasses right? people. That would be a pretty sweet job. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, would you rather go to a quilting bee or sing forbidden songs alone in a barn? Um, quilting bee, obviously. Did you hear those desserts that they have there? Jesus, man. So many. So into it. Why are we not at a quilting bee right now? I do like how they call like things that are work-related frolics. They're like, it's a yeah. canning frolic or a work frolic. <laughs> I might choose the singing alone in a barn, um, not because I particularly am a singer, but just because the Amish life is so communal and I like yes. to have a lot of alone time. So this might be one of your only chances to just not have somebody like on your butt about when you're going to marry the bishop or whatever. That would be my answer to as a hermit stroke never do all. <laughs> and lastly, would you rather marry the bishop or find a different spouse via ChristianMingle.com? Um, ChristianMingle.com, obviously, are wonderful sponsors until they find out and make us stop. I would absolutely continue to use ChristianMingle.com to find my ideal atheist lesbian partner. I mean, there are there are some pros to the bishop. Like, he's well-regarded in the community. Um... He's got a good beard. Yeah. But you gotta be mom to five kids, one of whom hates you. Yeah. They can never hate me as much as I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> what I think is funny about the bishop is that, like, as soon as 
he's like, oh, we are shunning Katie. Everyone turns against him. Everyone's like, he's a real, up until that point, everyone is like, the bishop's a really nice guy. He's like a pillar of the community. And he seems like in her, his interactions with her, like take aside the fact that he's a 40 year old dude with five kids who's going to marry a 22 year old. He's a nice guy. Like there's nothing wrong with him. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he shuns Katie, Katie's like, he's the worst man alive. And then I think somebody else says it too in the second book and i don't know who it would be because i don't think mary holds that opinion <laughs> but well there is kind of like, some oh, weirdness bishop. there is kind of some weirdness because um mary is like oh surely you've noticed how the bishop has been watching you for like the last few years and like yeah that's sort of an implication that he's been borderline inappropriate for an amish gentleman yeah and he comments too i think in one of the chapters from his point of view, how, like, it was so difficult to, like, not look at her until she was 19 and officially a member of the church because, like, it would be inappropriate for him to look at someone before they took their vow. But, like, he'd been noticing her since even before then and he, like, was just waiting for the day for her to take her vow so that he could, like, make his intentions known, which is creepy. Amish weirdness, man, you know? That just yeah. happens. You meet serial killers on ChristianMingle.com. They're not my sponsor. I can say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Reader's Advisory right now. No more talk about it. No more talk about this. <laughs> I'm on to you, ChristianMingle.com. <laughs> Um, I would say I do give readers advisory for Amish romance a lot, and pretty much all I do every time is pull up like various Goodreads lists, and then like, have you read this one yet? Oh, what about this one? So I mean, I feel like it's kind of well covered already, and people who know that they like Amish romance for real, like that's what they like, and they already know all the authors, um, so, like Melody Carlson, Wanda Brunstetter, um, Catherine Kingsbury. I don't think is Amish so much as just Christian, but she has written ten thousand million books. Um, you know, that that kind of thing. If you like this, read a hundred more of them. They're there. <laughs> they exist. <laughs> um, I went two different routes with mine. The book Heaven by Angela Johnson is a book about a I think it's a middle grade book about a young girl who finds out that she's adopted when she is like thirteen years old and has to deal with the fallout and the questioning surrounding that and then um the wanderer by sharon creech which i love um because sharon creech has yet to write a book that i haven't sobbed my way through um is about a young girl who's adopted who decides to go on a voyage across the atlantic on a raft um that her grandfather built with him and her uncles and male cousins to kind of like prove a point and <laughs> it's really good and then um, The God Box by Alex Sanchez, which is about a young Christian boy who begins to question his faith as he begins to question his sexuality when he finds himself attracted to a new boy at school who is both out as gay and a devout Christian. Oh, on that vein, I guess I also recommend Rapture Practice by Aaron Hartzler, which is um, a memoir about a, a boy who grew up evangelical Christian and was gay and left the church. And I really liked it a lot because it's very funny, but also it's a pretty heartbreaking situation. And he 
he's written it with a lot of compassion for his family and the evangelical church while still acknowledging how messed up it is. I have little to offer because I don't read as much as nearly anybody else involved in this podcast because I read as fast as a fourth grader. Uh, I've been tested by staples.com. It's okay. Amish girls don't go to school beyond eighth grade. It's fine. It's fine. Um, But if you're interested in another uh, book about young people questioning their strict religion uh, in which nothing happens, there is Elders by Ryan McKilvin about um, a boy who is on his Mormon mission in um, a South American town. And he just kind of decides, you know, is this really what I want to do? Is this really worth it? But nothing happens other than that. Just like this book. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. <laughs> Would you recommend going on to read The Confession? If you were at all like interested in this book, having read this book, I would say, yeah, read the second one. Because, like I said, a lot more happens. It's very Lifetime movie. Like, Which this literally is. A lot is. of the same... Yeah, it's true. We need. I, I'm all for watching these. All three of them have been made into movies, apparently. <laughs> and um, at least the first one is on Netflix Instant. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think I, I found it definitely. I, I gave this one one star on Goodreads. I gave the other one two stars. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, it moved a lot quicker. Something happened at least. And it wasn't something that as soon as you picked up, you kind of immediately knew everything that was going to happen. Though you did have a pretty good idea. All right, um, so check out worstbestsellers.com if you want to see our, our reader's advisory list or just Google gentle reads. It's fine. <laughs> um, now we'll move on to our candy pairing and suggest what delicious dessert would best go with this book, although the book itself has a lot of suggestions already. All right, I'll start off. Uh, my pairing for this book is butter mints, which are those little mints that are like in like a little canister or a candy dish when you're leaving fancy restaurants and they don't really like taste like anything for a while and then when you get to the center they're like a little bit minty and then they fade away and much like this book where nothing happens and then something happens and then it's over mine it's not really candy so much as a dessert but i would say it's like uh you know a beautiful looking homemade apple pie and you know it's got all the fancy crust designs on top and then you bite into it and it wasn't apples it was like rutabagas or something and so like you you know i thought this was gonna be an amish romance novel and then i bit into it and i was like oh there's no romance it's like just fabric Um, I'm firmly believe that anything is candy if you believe hard enough. Uh, so I suggest Ativan. Because, um, like, with all the emotional strain and the fainting and, like, Mary takes to bed at the end because the boy she wanted to ask, who she wanted him to ask her to marry her, asked somebody else to marry her, and she literally just takes to bed for, like, a month. She's just, she can't even live. Um, <laughs> two for hoodled. Two for hoodled, exactly. I wouldn't want anyone to get two for hoodled while they were reading this. I forgot to mention in the second book, Katie's Amish mom, Rebecca, she has gone off the deep end and she like thinks the baby gown is like a real baby and oh, she keeps no. hearing it crying and she like she's just absolutely full on hallucinating and no one knows what to do with her. So I think she could also use an Ativan or two. <laughs> she's seriously for hoodled. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's move on and describe the moral of the story. Uh, My moral of the story is that music is evil, satin is evil, women's opinions are evil, but quilting bees sound amazing. (laughs) Indeed. 
Uh, my moral is, you can take the girl out of the satin, but you can't take the satin out of the girl. And also the sub-moral of Mennonite cousins always got your back, because <laughs> they are the real heroes of the stories. <laughs> um, I know we normally use this for, like, a pithy joke, but I'm genuinely not sure, like, what the moral of the story is supposed to be. Like, I think it's follow your heart. But I feel like it could also be, like, you should, like, God knows best and, like, submit to God's will. Maybe it is that, and then with a clause of, like, but we don't necessarily know what God's will is. I don't know. I'm verhoodled. Probably too much satin. <laughs> Probably. Okay, let's move on then and have Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte can express his opinions about the book. Man, it sounds like Duarte was really pretty hoodled by that. It's true. I mean, I can see what he means about there not being enough cats in the book, I guess. But, yeah, you know. There were like eight cats point. in the book, but they were all in one scene and they were all unnamed. So, yeah, that's rough. Duarte also thinks Satin Boy is a stupid name for a horse. Yeah. <laughs> Not nearly as dignified as Tobias or Molasses, like the horses. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Who named a horse Molasses? They're just like, we literally want to get there as slowly as possible. Take Molasses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, any humans have any closing thoughts? Um, I'm, like, super tempted, although maybe I'll just watch the third movie. Like, now I want to know how it ends. I mean, I can guess how it ends, but maybe, maybe I'll just watch all the movies. All right, do that That and let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you're going to write books, uh, something should probably happen. (laughs) At least in, like, the first 50 pages, just as a general rule. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rebecca. Thanks for going above and beyond and reading two of these books, in fact. Super dedicated. Super dedicated. Yeah. Um, also, I meant to mention at the top of the show that um, starting with our uh, end of the year wrap-up specials, Rebecca's also been editing the podcast for us. Um, and going in and taking out all of the crazy screw-ups in the middle and all the other stuff. And we really appreciate that. Yes, thank you, Becca. You're welcome. I'm super pumped to listen to myself talk for two hours when I edit this one. You'll love it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> all right. Well, um, thanks for listening, everyone. You can follow us as a podcast on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14 across. And you can follow us on Facebook. You can visit us on worstbestsellers.com where you can find a companion post to this episode with some of the things that we've talked about and also a link to our reader's advisory, including some titles that we haven't talked about yet. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you do, please remember to leave us a review or else we will shun you. So shunned. Very shunned. And I'm, I'm very excited to tell you that our next episode will be what, what the people have been demanding. Literally uh, since we've started this. Mm-hmm. 
And it is, of course, Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James. We're going to read it. You can listen to us talk about it. Get ready. Just just get yeah. ready. And uh, I'll, I'll put the plug in, too, that it's coming out right before the movie or right after the movie. So you can download it and bring it to the movie. And, like, it could be, like, a commentary track to the movie yeah it'll, it'll sync up if you start it when the lion roars in 50 shades of gray it's there's a lion in that right uh, <laughs> anyway yeah you should absolutely do that thanks for listening bye bye Linus's penis. <laughs>